Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. That's the second time it's gone off. They never got home, they never got home, they never got home, those, those, those boys. And I said, I want to win the league, but I want to win it better. You can understand that, can't you? Yes. Good luck. So he's almost like having a second captain in the team. Second captain, first captain, whatever. Hello and welcome to the Irish Times Second Captain's Podcast. Owen and Murphy here. How are you, Kieran? Hello there, Owen. We're getting very excited about our trip to San Francisco. By the time you hear our next podcast, we will have come face to face with our main man, US Murph. After a decade of phone calls, Skype calls, emails, all that kind of stuff, we'll finally be able to see the whites in his eyes, Murph, and have him explain to Ken why he should be interested in baseball. <laughs> Well, Might take some convincing, buddy. Uh, well, Ken is, a, Ken is a patient man, you know. And he's also, you know, there are idiosyncrasies to Ken Early's uh, personality. And maybe, the, you know, the, uh, a slightly offbeat interest such as baseball might actually appeal to Ken's well, you must have been, nature. You must have been out the day, Murph, that Ken on this podcast explained how little interest he had in baseball. We're going to drag him along to a game anyway. It, it, I, I think it. that uh, he will have a Damascene conversion. Somewhere between the 6th and 7th innings. <laughs> in, Somewhere around the 7th inning stretch, yeah. Our lingers are flying us out tomorrow. That's Friday. We'll record the podcast over there and have the first ones ready for you on Monday. We're doing a live show next Wednesday. There's a live show over there in the Bay Area, May 20th, in front of a crowd. If you're in and around San Francisco and you want to be part of that crowd, keep an eye on secondcaptains.com for details. We'll post those up before we fly off. Topic of today's chat with the US Murph is Tom Brady. The mm. report came out. I think, yeah, the report had come out by Monday. We mentioned that on air. You'd poured through some of the 243-page report into him deflating footballs or allowing footballs to be deflated on his behalf, probably most likely kind of thing. Uh, we mentioned it on that podcast. Since then, though, the news is in that he's been hit with a four-game ban, which is a very lengthy ban in NFL terms. Yeah, I mean, you're talking about a quarter of a, a regular season. Um, more than enough time for your playoff hopes to be pretty well torpedoed mm. if they lose all four of those games you would have to think they would be up against it um, yeah and it's it is huge and people it's it's not a thing that people are shrugging their shoulders and saying well you know what are you going to do kind of thing they, they are talking about this as if it's you know a really damaging thing for his legacy as you know one of the top five NFL players of all time which in itself is hugely interesting and also maybe might have something to do with the fact that you know the team that he plays with this isn't the first time they've been embroiled in yeah. a controversy such as this. So, Well, at least we'll finally find out who the backup quarterback is in the New England Patriots. For all we know, they could have had some guy there for the last 10 years mm. just itching to get his chance. And we'll finally find out who, the, who that kind of... Uh, that Jerry Payton figure is. Just knocked the... Behind Packy Bonner and the Irish. Yeah, he just knocked the dust off that uh, uniform there, my man, and uh, get out there. Oshie McConville and Anthony Moyles are on the way in to chat to us about the football championship, which kicks off in earnest this weekend, Murph. I add those words, in earnest, just so, so it's not to disrespect anyone in, involved in New York GAA. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, it's ridiculous because Galway have, will have played twice by the time the 17th of May comes around. They'll have played three times by the time the 14th of June comes around. Uh, having not started a championship campaign on a number of occasions over the last couple of years until like the last week of June. <laughs> so uh, such are the um, the idiosyncrasies, I suppose. But uh, yeah, all kicks off Saturday evening, actually. Uh, two games in Leinster, Carlo against Leash and uh, Offaly riding high uh, against Longford. And that's in O'Connor Park in Tullamore. So you would think that the Offleys would be out in uh, out in force. Uh, both those games t- kick off at 7 o'clock. And then on Sunday, it's... Half three for Loud against Westmead. That's their annual championship game against each other. Uh, they have played each other so often over the last number of years. It's getting ridiculous. We need a resurgence from Loud. It's 
been too, it's been too long. There was just that one year. Ah, uh, well, okay, so yeah, okay, no, 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 fair enough, fair enough. Uh, half three is Leitrim against Galway in uh, Pork Sean in Carcassonne, Car- and the big one then obviously is Donegal against Tyrone live on television RT two, uh, four o'clock. And that, I suppose, for many people is when the whole thing will have kicked off. Well, the summer here must have kicked off because the boys are here. Anthony Oshin, how are you, lads? Morning, on. All good, on. Looking forward to the championship? Yeah. I hope so, because that's what you're here to talk <laughs> yeah. about. Yeah. Yeah. And for the rest of the summer. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> yes, pumped. Yeah. Uh, no, really looking forward to it, actually. Um, there's going to be intriguing games. There's going to be, I think, games where uh, teams are, you know, Will potentially play above themselves. It's going to be fascinating to see kind of the different tactics and strategies that are deployed this year. Um, can Leinster and some of the Leinster teams actually say, "Okay, we won't go out and have a shootout against Dublin, and we might actually try to do something different," um, or is that going to be employed again? Yeah, I mean, funny because you straight away you bring up this style of football, and this is going to be a debate throughout the summer. Do do you care about this as former? Intercounty players, or do you want to see a brilliant, fast-flowing, free-flowing championship to shut Joe Brawley up, or are you happy enough to see the championship as it has been for as long as I can mm. remember? Which is to say, some really good teams, mostly not very good teams, a, f- a couple of very good games, and uh, quite a few bad ones. The big thing I want to see is is a, is a couple of new teams stepping up to the mark, like let's say Amith and Leinster, let's say Monaghan, you know, coming through and actually getting through a quarter-final. Uh, maybe Tipperary in, in Munster uh, in Connacht I mean Galway and, and Roscommon are sort of going in the right direction but you know what the more you think things are going to change the more they will probably stay the same it'll probably be Mayo Donegal Dublin and Kerry who will who will come out of the provincial championships and I am looking forward to it but there's only a few games you can really get your teeth into early on well when I say a few there's really only one uh, Donegal and Tyrone uh, this weekend. I think you know Tyrone have always been able to change things. Mickey Ma- Mickey Hart has always been able to to come up with a plan to you know something new. I mean, he did it in 05 He did it in oh three. He did it in oh five, and he did it in oh eight. Um, I, I personally think that Tyrone's ship has sort of sailed at this stage, uh, but there is shoots of hope, I suppose, for from a from a Tyrone point of view. But they're not going to go up to Donegal and win. But <clears throat> can they come out of it with some credibility? And are they a team like Amid who can possibly push on and and challenge through the back door and get to a quarter final? Who would you like to see? What what hypothetical match would you like to see happen in an All Ireland final? What two teams would you feel would provide the the, the old styles make fights kind of uh, kind of vibe? Who do you think would make for the most entertaining? Yeah, compelling probably. Game? Compelling rather than compelling. Yeah, are we not entertained? Uh, Dublin Donegal, just based on last year again, yeah. I suppose would be the one. Um, that, that I think that's the one that people would like to see. You know, can Donegal kind of pull the hoodoo again, or will Dublin learn? And that's going to be a question that's going to go through the championship all this year. Um, and look, we've we've seen little semblance of stuff throughout the league with various different teams with Dublin not so with Mayo but we've seen it with Galway we've seen it with Cork up until the kind of nearly the last few one or two games um, Monaghan going very well you know so there are teams coming Roscommon but then this transition this six to eight weeks is a vital six to eight weeks like it's an absolutely vital six to eight weeks in preparation in belief within a squad of like you can turn it around, you can have a disaster of a league campaign and you can kind of just accept it and go, okay, well, look, we had a disaster league campaign. There was various things, injuries, there was just a maybe a, we were blooding some new players, we were trying different things, but now we get a little bit of momentum behind us or you just get that one win or you know that you're playing, say, a big team in two or three games and you just aim towards that. And vice versa can happen. You can have an unbelievable league, such as Derry did last year, um, and then one or two laws, and then the wheels just come off. Yeah, it's sleepwalk into a championship on the back of a good league, whereas you can have a terrible league and then have ten weeks of terrible football washed away by one good team meeting that just says, right, listen, just forget about it. And move Absolutely. On, you know? um, Ushin, who would you like to see? What Iron final? I'd like to see Kerry in Dublin. That's, that would I, be my answer as well. Because yeah. I think 
not only thanks Murph sorry sorry because <laughs> Dub- Dublin Donegal would be great but it's I think it's a Kerry final really yeah, yeah. I, th- yeah. I think it's more of a semi final yeah. Kerry, uh, Kerry Dublin uh, good answer yeah, yeah. <laughs> that, that has the potential to be, to be compelling and also entertaining I think I think the thing about Dublin and Kerry is that uh, that's a meeting I'd want to see because it's it's a sort of clash of styles again uh, people are you know, very accepting of the way Kerry play football now because that's the way generally football is played. Uh, interested in how Dublin can adapt, especially after poss- possibly or probably walking through Leinster again. I mean, it's not ideal preparation, regardless of what anybody says. Um, you know, they're going to get to probably August. Now, we're in May now. You know, the championship's kicking off. They're sit- going to be sitting on their hands till what? Till the end of the month. They didn't even have a, a competitive league final. Not really, no. Not really. Uh, you know, on the likes of uh, likes of Dublin coming into a, an All-Ireland quarterfinal, probably going to get an easy enough game, and then probably Dublin-Donegal in, in, in an All-Ireland semi-final. It's not ideal preparation, um, and it's not exactly uh, what Dublin would want, but that's the situation they're in. That's just how far ahead the likes of Dublin and Kerry are. It's interesting that you both mentioned Dublin as a team in your hypothetical matchup that you want to see. They, they still, particularly this Dublin team, hold um, hold a certain place within GA. How people view sort of how GA can be played yeah. is that stretching well, a little bit? No, no, I think it's it's not stretching it because I think if you're a manager. Um, and you have been swayed over the last number of years by defensive tactics, and you're kind of saying to yourself, you know what, this really is the way to go. I have to set up this way because this is the way teams are. You're looking for a beacon, and the beacon has been the way Dublin plays. So then you say, but also I can go this way. Now, strangely or maybe falsely enough, some teams have followed that way, but they just don't have the personnel that Dublin have um, and Dublin have oodles of personnel which we've talked about um, plenty of, of fellas on the panel but they have have this ability to I suppose hit the self-destruct button once or twice it has happened over the last number of years um, I disagree with us I think this year they will be pushed a bit more in Leinster um, Bye. Um, like I even think if Offaly get over Longford, right, and I know you're going to laugh at me here, Offaly will actually give them a decent enough game, yeah, right? They will. Well, I did say, I, 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 I did say modern <laughs> were going to win the All-Ireland. Yeah, I did say modern were going to win the All-Ireland to Malachy Clare. Well, that's true, that's true. I can't really laugh. Monaghan people are just turning around. So it's Offaly yeah, it's it. for Sam. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. But, no, but like, they, they'll be pushed a little bit more. I don't know how Kildare will come out and I don't know how Kildare will set up, right? Um, Dublin will beat Offaly, then they come in against Kildare. Can Kildare turn around? I don't think so. But I, I, I genuinely feel... Like there's question marks over the Dublin full backline, which we've spoken about before. Rory O'Carroll supposedly is struggling with a hamstring injury. He is a massive loss if he's gone out of there. I think he's nearly he's one of the players with Cluxton who's irreplaceable on that team. But he's got three months to get himself right. Yeah, he has. But supposedly, yeah, that's true. Okay, right. So look, he plays. I still think um, Mead. If they get through, which I think they should get through, it's one of their easiest pass through to a Leinster final. This is their fourth in a row. Like, I mean, Mick O'Dowd has to. Like, it's all all out for this. That's it. You just have to try and win this. And <laughs> the old Mead won't fear the dogs. <laughs> I just saw it. I just saw it in there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Doesn't matter if they lose by 10 points, they no, do not yeah. fear no, the dogs. No, no, exactly. Yeah. Have the uh, <laughs> GA bingo card there. <laughs> you can strike that one off early. But no, it, it, it is personnel wise, I think. The, me, the gap was wide, right? Now, you would say that, okay, it has been, even score-wise, it's been, it's been widening, okay? But the gap, from a, from a, from, if you look at the personnel, if you look at the physique, if you look at all of that, it, has, it, it was wide. The chasm was there three to four years ago. I think the chasm is getting smaller and smaller every year. It's still ahead, but I just think they'll be forced, they'll be, they'll be tested a little bit more uh, this year in Leinster than they have been. Yeah, and I, th- I think that... The, the, the say the three of us in our All Ireland dream All Ireland final pairing, we all included Dublin. I think for another reason as well that we we do actually happen to think that the Dubs play an attacking brand of football. We we like watching them. Um, the 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 idea of teams going up against Dublin is that's also mm. compelling. The yeah. idea that these managers are very good at what they do and that they have a, a way of stopping 
stopping Dublin because Dublin are you set up nine players behind the ball or ten players behind the ball because you don't want to get tore apart by say Dublin so if, if it's Galway or Armagh or Meath or there are three actually perfectly reasonable counties that you could say right we're not one of the big teams yet but we want to be there but the one thing we can't do is let the likes of Dublin rip Terrible. us apart you know and like the other teams are really good and they'll beat you but they won't humiliate you Dublin can actually humiliate you mm. so I think that like and they're also a compelling team just because they have loads of really good footballers that we've seen play in loads of games where they're not really tested so anytime we get to see Jeremy Connolly really put to the pin of his collar to try and dominate a game that's something we don't actually see like Michael Murphy has to do it every day for Donegal you know the, 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 these brilliant Dublin footballers Paul Flynn uh, you know, like Kieran Kilkenny. You know, like is Kieran Kilkenny as good a footballer as maybe we think he is? Um, they're the questions we actually want to get answered, and we won't get answers to them until August. And that's why I think it's interesting, and that's why I think we all have Dublin in that. In that, I, I agree with that. And the other facet for me is that the Dubs are going to come out of Leinster, despite what uh, what Anthony thinks. I think very, very easily, maybe even more easy than they, than they have done in the past. Okay, I think the second thing about that is that. When they do, Jim Gavin is going to be under immense pressure, if he, especially if he comes up against Donegal, to tweak or change his tactics. Like, Dublin tried it once this year against Derry, and we've seen what happened. It did not work in any way, shape, or form. So we went to the following game, which was the following game was themselves in Monaghan. Uh, and one thing they did is they played a sweeper. And they, you, uh, John Small played, and he played it very, very well. And that was a tactic that they sort of employed the rest of the league, and it sort of works for them. But this thing, if people think that Dublin are going to change to the extent that they're going to match up uh, man for man or lake for lake with, with Donegal, that's not going to happen. And that, for me, is is the thing that's really intriguing about it. And that's the thing, for me, that I want to go and watch. And plus the fact that, at, as I say, at that stage, Jim Gavin is going to be under huge pressure to deliver because... People have talked about the Dubs, and rightly so, about how many good players they have, uh, the potential they have, the strength and depth they have off the bench. It doesn't count for anything they should deliver in all areas. Well, poor Anthony's getting hammered here by you two boys. I have to say, I agree with you. I think Dublin Donegal is one I'd love to see because I'm just fascinated by Donegal this year, and I think if they get to an All-Ireland final, it'll have... They'll have proven by then that they're here to stay post-Jim McGuinness. McGuinness himself was speaking to Heath Duggan in the Irish Times Championship preview and says that he still believes Donegal are up there. They're one of the two, well, maybe three or four teams who can win it. And we all know who those teams are. Would you agree with that? Are, are Donegal now part of the establishment, bearing in mind pre-McGuinness, they're absolutely nowhere? I think they are part of the establishment. And the thing is that they believe they're part of the establishment. The players believe it. Um, and everyone around the players believe it. And... That's a mindset change, and it takes an individual like McGuinness to come in and actually make players believe that. Because, as you can imagine, you know they were there or thereabouts for a number of years. Um, there was always this idea of you know they throw the jeans in the bag when they come up to play in Crow Park, all this kind of stuff you hear. But the mindset change and and it's it's getting players to buy in. And as we've said. With the style of play that he adopted, you have to have everyone buying into it, you know. Because if you don't buy into that, you just get found. But out. does that go with him? Does yes. That mindset? No, no, I don't think so. Because he, he he has he's delivered number one, so they know it works. Okay, he delivered then an unbelievable performance last year against Dublin when everyone was writing him off. So now they're even more going because you even hear the players after that game they were saying, "We just trusted in Jim." We kind of said, he, he said to us that this would happen, and it happened. Like, that's, that's, that's amazing stuff. Mm. Like, I mean, and you sit there as a player and you go, you know what, if this guy tells me to stand out in the corner for 55 minutes of this game, that's what I'm going to do. I won't get involved. Like, so they know if it was a completely different management team, it may be a little bit tricky. But it's not, it, you know, like, I mean, Gallagher has been there. He's, you see him even in the huddles pre-game. He was very much involved. Um, so to a certain degree, it's been kind of seamless. And he would continue with that. And also, he hasn't tried to change much, which is an also a big thing. The thing I, I, as well about Tony Gall is I thought the biggest mistake they could have made was to make Rory Gallagher the manager. Because I thought it was too same-same. Uh, I thought players would have, after the intensity of the McGuinness regime, that they needed something different, that somebody needed to come, come in and change things. But what Gallagher has done, when managers come in, they want to change things, they want to put their stamp on things. What, what Gallagher has done is he's just come in and he said, we're going to play the exact same way, we're going to tweak it a little bit, 
uh, McBrearley looks like a completely different player. So you've player. changed your mind on that already, even yeah, pre-championship. Abso- you, you absolutely. Think that it's the right appointment. Now. Yeah, and I think it's worked. Uh, as I say, McBrearley looks a completely different player than he did on the McGuinness. He looks like a player who's playing with a wee bit more freedom. And he looks like a player who uh, is able to express himself a little bit more. Helps when you're corner forward and you're getting a few scores, obviously. But uh, I think Donegal have got to where they got to, even in the league, without pushing any major buttons yet. And I think they went away on, on a on a training weekend, I think last weekend or, or maybe last week. Uh, I still don't know. I still haven't found out where that is. So that's good. Uh, that sounds a good. That sounds like a good camp. There's nothing coming out of. Yeah, I mean, I, I think if if you, as we mentioned earlier, Dublin Kerry Mayo Donegal of the 16 provincial finals played since 2011, 2011 to 2014, those 14 have won 14 out of the 16 hmm. provincial titles. So what you're talking about really is you're you're trying to say right where is there a possible weakness in those 14s? Obviously, Mayo and Donegal have changed their manager. And you would have thought people in Ulster, people in Connacht would immediately say, right, there's a chance here. But it, I would say that the one thing about Donegal, which I found, which, which when you put them up against what the Mayo team had to go through, and you know there are rumblings the Mayo players really have had to be convinced heavily that you know that the boys on, in charge, spit it out. that the boys <laughs> in charge are are doing the business right that they. Basically, they, they, say with Horn, they had a great relationship with Horn, but at the same time, they never won the All Ireland. They still don't know yeah. what it takes yeah. to win All Ireland. Whereas those Donegal players, it's quite clear in their heads. If if Rory Gallagher comes in and asks them to do something, it's like, right, okay, well, we know what it ta- what it took to take us mm-hmm. yeah. to win the All Ireland final. If Rory Gallagher stays within those parameters, we don't have a problem with it. It's a hugely player led environment anyway. After four years of McGuinness, I would say. Whereas with Mayo, it's Okay, the boys, ha- the the guys didn't have the luxury of coming and saying, right, we'll just do what James Horn did, and you know we go again, kind of thing. They had to change because what James Horn did was brilliant, Absolutely. overachieved hugely, but still didn't win All Ireland. So yeah. they still don't know what it takes to win an All Ireland, and like that's that's it. As much as Rory Gallagher versus the Mayo management team, it's it you know the Mayo job is was always going to be much tougher, and as a result, people I think. Think that Mayo are are way more vulnerable than Donegal are in and some r- some rumblings of discontent in the in the Mayo camp as well. Yeah, which I think you were hinting at, but you just didn't want to say. Yeah, it. well, no, well, there, well, I, well, I did hint as much as, <laughs> as that. But, it, 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 but it that is, could yeah. that could actually stand to them. I've never I haven't heard that in Mayo in a couple of years. Maybe that's exactly what they need. Maybe they need a bit of a bust up or or something like that to or, push uh, them on to the next or, level. You know, you know, a few games in the qualifiers, something just to shake up that. The, the thing that they've had in you know the 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 run that they've had in the last four years has been exactly the same. Yeah. Yeah. Play goal, they beat them handy enough. Come to August, come to August, and not really have have done anything. You know, so I, I, maybe maybe that's the way to go. And that's the problem with, as Murph said, you know, players. No matter if you're playing junior football or you're playing senior into county football, a, a, a large percentage of players just want to follow. Okay, so you go out, you stick out the cones, you do the, and they do the warm up, and they literally just go through it. Mm-hmm. Now they're doing it at a different level, okay, and that's really the idea of the levels, and they have better skill and they're fitter and all those things. But an awful lot of fellas just follow. You do have your leaders, and they will come to the fore. So the management team, if they can show, okay, fellas, two plus two equals four. Here is the formula. And now you know within that formula, it's a successful formula. Brilliant. I don't that, have to think. Absolutely. Yeah. I just go out, I bring my gear with me and I go and do it every night. And I know it's going to be tough, but I do know that that will put me in a position. The Mayo fellas now, after doing all of that, are still zero. Okay, Connacht, yes, absolutely. But even, even the motivation now, that is why that is one of the hardest appointments. And that is why we talked about that they really should have focused on the league. Yeah. And they should have focused on the league. Not even tinkering with things. Not even trying to play, take fellas out of positions, play them elsewhere. No, no. Win the league. Get silverware. Get the, get the camaraderie up. Get, the, get the, you know, the, the, the confidence up within the panel. And then attack Connacht again. And if, okay, if you lose in Connacht, well then still, confidence is still high. Right, fellas, we changed a few things, but we're going to go for the All-Ireland. Mm. They're in a very precarious situation. And I think they won't win Connacht. I think, I think Galway will win Connacht this year. 
Um, so not to my prediction that one. Right. Nearly enough. fell off the chair. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, well, I, 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 can I report? Can I report from west of the Things Shannon? Things are flying I, down there. I have, I have some uh, stirring news from west of the Shannon now. Yep. Uh, the Galway are reasonably confident. Uh, they feel pretty good. Um, they think Mayo are, are there, but Ross Co- are there for the taking. But Ross Common have already released. A song. Really? This, is the, this is the earliest. This is the earliest GA song. I would say by three months that we've ever seen. Are we going all Ireland, all Ireland song, or just Connacht song, or is it? Could it could it be used? The for song both? is more just how great it is to be a Rossi, right? And it yeah. is. We can we, is, can we be clear about this? This isn't the Ross Common team, song, not the Ross Common team, okay, but there is but a, a song, in the song currently in circulation about the Ross Common football team. Now, off the back of the Division 2? Yes. So, I don't know what to read into that. I think we can say that they're pretty excited about their chances of, uh, of winning college this well, year. Well, their so. manager is talking about All-Irelands. So, so he, I'm sure Mayo in particular will be might eating seep, that one up. It might seep through to the players. Yeah, he is, uh, he, is no, he is no one to blame. John Evans has no one to blame but himself. We barely mentioned Kerry. I think there's a brief mention of how, how far ahead they might be. And or I'd say. Cork. Yeah, or Cork. Uh, yeah, we'll leave Cork. Is, for the yeah, we're not talking about Cork. Kerry yeah. the, are the Ireland champions. I was there at the weekend, and I mentioned this on Monday's podcast. I overheard a conversation which involved two locals convincing, uh, trying to outdo <laughs> each other and convincing each other how poor they're going to be yeah. this year. They managed to do it last year. They suckered everyone into forgetting about them and then came away with yet another All-Ireland title. It's surely they're the best team in the country with the additions they've made. I, I think so, and I think... I listened to the piece. Yeah, it's very, very funny. But uh, you know what they've done this year as well? They've managed to position themselves in those two positions that everybody wants. That's the non-relegation from Division One and the not qualifying mm. for the semi-finals. And they position themselves in position five or six, which everybody seems to be clamouring for every year. <laughs> and uh, as a result of that, they're sort of they're not under the radar. It'd be silly to say that they're under the radar, but they're down in Kerry and they're just they're doing their own thing. They're playing a bit of club football. I've watched a bit of highlights of uh, club football. They're playing with their club yeah. football. They'll get together. They have a plan, and they won't have to change or tweak that much to be a few different personnel. Not personnel, obviously. That's going to weaken uh, what they had last year, and they'll come in nicely. They have a they'll have a good game against. Possibly Cork. Uh, <laughs> Better than last year. Possibly. Possibly Cork. And, uh, <laughs> and probably as a result of that, you know, going to an all Ireland quarterfinal and they'll be primed. Their concerns are defensive. Well, certainly the conversations I was listening <clears throat> I probably should have talked to some people. I was just listening yeah, to the yeah. conversations. But yeah. uh, it's off now you get the best stuff. And uh, they seem to fear that I think they're, everyone's aware that they've got amazing forwards and Colm Cooper's back and Tommy Walsh is back in contention, but they have a few fears that defensively they could be a little bit open. Now, they weren't. La- I mean, last year, they, they seemed to combine the best of both worlds in, in the final. Do you think they're any better position or worse position than last season? Um, I wouldn't put as much stock in the Gooch, Tommy Walsh and Galvin coming back thing. That could actually cause a slight, just a slight kind of interruption to the flow of the team like the young lads in within that squad um, I was talking to Declan O'Sullivan he was just mentioning about Galvin and the whole thing and he's kind of damned if he does and he's damned if he doesn't type thing yeah. um, you know and the, and the way he bowed out at the start of last year he probably looked around the dressing room and saw a lot of young lads as you do when you get older you look around you kind of go wow all my friends have left I'm now the elder statesman here, and I don't know, and I can't believe nothing about yeah. the PlayStation. Or, exactly, uh, yeah, and they're not talking; they're just texting FIFA, or WhatsApping yeah. each other, and it's time to go. <laughs> but he now they all have all Ireland medals, and as I said, that is one of the that's the scariest thing for every other county in the team that those young lads who would have you know who, who needed to prove themselves have now proved themselves. So their confidence level, their swagger level, their carry way has now gone up by another ten or fifteen percent. I I don't I don't really. Okay, they had O'Mahony and, and Mark O'Shea, and O'Mahony had a serious year last year. Like, I mean, he probably, a lot of people would have questioned him. Um, they use him very cutely, and Fitzmaurice will do that again. And I think Galvin will probably play in that Declan O'Sullivan role of 15, 20 minutes, come in around the defence and shore it up. They, they're, they're unbelievable. They have, they, and, and the thing is, again, the Fitzmaurice factor, who's going to be able to change things, okay? But I actually think and I know we've we, 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 I'm not going back on this again but I know we wrote Cork off okay Moilsy don't, don't, don't <laughs> I've got to do it to right yourself no I am I am, <laughs> I am I am I think their problems are repairable 
Right. So your provincial winners <laughs> so far are Offaly. <laughs> Offaly. Go away. Go away. Who's winning Ulster for Manor? Oh, well, you really... You've, you've blown over by this one. No, no, no. I'll get to Ulster in a minute. No, I think, look, Cork aren't going to win Munster. But they have a serious forward line. They made a bad, bad, made a couple of really bad errors. They have Alan O'Connor back in midfield. He will provide something else for them. Um, if they learn, and this is the thing, I thought Cuthbert was, he, he, he started off brilliantly um, in his managerial career with Cork, okay, uh, to the point that, Murph tipped him for an All Ireland. No, I, I sat on the fence on that one. But I, I, they will get they, they'll they'll scare a few people this year. Okay, they will scare a few people, and I think they'll scare Cork or Kerry. Should scare I say. their own supporters? Yeah, <laughs> but I You're think, not convinced. No, I think the other thing about Fitzmaurice is he's got a similar problem that Louis van Gaal had. He had lots and lots of players, but what do you do? You just throw them all in, squeeze them all into the team. He's gonna like. Probably the first name down that team sheet for Kerry would be Johnny Buckley because of the job he does. You know, he's he played at wing forward, but he's the person who goes back, gives them an option of, of a midfielder dropping back Morn or or Maher dropping back into the <coughs> into the defence, and they, then they become solid. And they sort of have played the two wing half forwards in that respect in the last Welsh, yeah. yeah in the last uh, last number of years. I don't think Paul Gavin fits into that role because I don't think he has the engine that he once had. Is he somebody you could bring off the bench with 15, 10, 15 minutes ago? Of course you can. Steady a game, you know, steady a game down, finish a game out. But Fitzmaurice will be rootless, you know, if 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 he has to make a decision between O'Donoghue and Cooper, <coughs> then he'll do that. Okay, good game this weekend. Donegal Tyrone. We'll see you in the beep for that, I'm sure. Yeah. Well, Sheen, uh, you're you're not giving Tyrone much of a chance based on what you said at the start. Uh, no, I'm, I'm, I'm expecting Tyrone to improve and I'm expecting them to have a decent run in the back door because they're too good, they've got too good of individuals to be languishing where they are and putting in the performances they are. But I think they're caught between a rock and a hard place. I think they, they're they not sure if they want to play as defensively as they played against Mayo or if they want to go, you know, if they mm. want to be slightly more adventurous in the way they play football. They've been caught between those two stools, and it'll be interesting just on Sunday to see you know what they come up with. If they come up with, let's just what normal teams and also do. Let's match Donegal man for man. Let's play the same system as they do. Uh, that's not going to work because Donegal punch holes in you continuously, punch holes in you from different directions. What will happen to own is they'll get to a stage in the, in the forty-five, a little bit like we watched down in Roscommon, and then they'll start going lateral. Mm. And as soon as you see that. Donegal will rob them once and the whole thing the whole thing about Donegal is they deflate you and when they have you deflated then you know they really go to town on you so I just think that Donegal too, they're too they're too good they've got too many they've got too many good players and they know their system inside out Anthony no Donegal as well I just think Tyrone are just lacking a little bit you know under 21 success will give them a bit of confidence but it's too there's not enough time for them to kind of really integrate in to the to the panel ok let's wrap this up with All-Ireland champions this year um, Murph you go first uh, I'm going to say I mean, it's not that amazing I know, question I, I should probably have Oof, seen this a, one that, coming that's a bit of a zinger <laughs> you've got us with there yeah. Yeah. Cool ball. <laughs> I agreed that the Ireland. one thing I wasn't going to talk about <laughs> yeah, yeah. was who would be Ireland champion ok I'm going to say I'm going to say Dublin Kerry oh my god Kerry yeah Kerry as well yeah. Ah, you're just saying you're that. Just you're just saying that. You're just Whichever way the wind is blowing. <laughs> <laughs> Back against his own. Lads, we leave it there. Great stuff. Thanks a million. Thanks. Cheers. Shane Curran with the kick out. The 42 year old goalkeeper. Curran it out from goal. Here he comes. He topped it. He fought it. He's 50 yards out from goal. What a day for us coming. All the mother niggas lame and you know it now. When the real nigga hold you down, you're supposed to drown. 1944 is the last time I've seen your child come out of here. And the one, 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 one be the last one. Bam. What a day for us coming. Leave a pretty girl's sad reputation. Start a fight club, Brad reputation. I asked the question, does anybody deserve to lose at the Lara Club final? Give me a tech, tech, tech if you know the answer. It'll be heartbreak on either side. Imagine being Asia. Imagine coming me down. Shane Curran has been lifted by an umpire. The sub goalie. Two castle barmen. And a British man. I can't see Curran continuing. It could be his last race out of all.
Yeah, I mentioned Jim McGuinness's interview there with Keith Duggan in the Championship preview in the Irish Times. That was to promote McGuinness's brand new column for the paper. He signed up for the Championship, uh, which I'm really looking forward to because McGuinness is excellent, incredible at talking about mm. Donegal, by talking about his own role, by talking about team preparation, all those things. I've also seen him on the BBC chatting about other teams and just football in general. And he's equally fascinating. So you would imagine that should translate pretty well to the written word. Yeah, exactly. And we're, we're talking about the probably the, the foremost mind in the game at the moment. Um, freed of the shackles of you know trying to talk about just his own team and how other teams... Talking about other teams purely through the prism of being the Donegal manager. So it should be... Should it's be worth good. reading that interview with Keith Duggan uh, in part because I don't know if people are that aware how well he's gone in Celtic that he's involved in the first team now originally he was brought in to work with the young players work with the youth players on preparation really mental preparation various other uh, facets around that but Ronnie Dahlia the manager who's come in this season has brought in a massive emphasis apparently on on that side of it on mental preparation in the senior team so there seems to be kind of kindred spirits there and McGuinness has graduated to work with the Celtic first team which is uh, which is huge good news this week Ireland will host the 2017 Women's Rugby World Cup which is brilliant for women's rugby and more generally for sport in Ireland, especially as we have such a strong team at the moment. You'd imagine this is exactly the kind of event that we will be able to get behind. But you have looked at some of the detail, Murph, and I noted a bemused look on your face. Mm, well, not so much bemused, because it is actually, it is brilliant news. It is great news. Um, but they're, they're kind of talking, the final, the semi-final and final are going to be held in Belfast. Uh, Ravenhill will play a major part in that. To be honest, it's, the details are, it's not 100% right. set in stone. All the games are going to be played, X, Y, and Z, dates and pools and all the rest of that. But um, the final, it's definitely going to be a cross-border initiative. Belfast is going to hold host the final. Uh, talking about Queens and UCD and Donnybrook mm. as uh, venues for games. And, I mean, I, we have a brilliant team in this tournament. We should be aiming at winning it. I'm sure the women involved are aiming at winning this tournament. I'm just kind of thinking, okay, if 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 they're playing pool games in Dublin, surely they should be playing in in the RDS. Um, the, the idea of getting eighteen, nineteen, twenty thousand people to these games is that's not a pipe dream. That the, is the, a, Ar- the Ireland games, the yeah, Ireland games yeah, at least. You know, like I mean, if if you're, I mean, obviously there may not be a huge travelling support from other countries, and that's where UCD comes in. That's where Queens comes in, and I'm sure that you know the fact that they have on-site accommodation and everything means that. They're, it's you know mm. they're ideal places to host these games, but I mean if you're talking about Ireland against you know England or France or New Zealand or South Africa, any of the big teams, you should be aiming at selling eighteen thousand tickets. Well, Tolman Park as well. It would seem a little bit. I don't know. It seems like there's something missing from the tournament if a big rugby tournament that comes to Ireland and there's not one game, maybe one Ireland game in Tolman Park. You could have one in Tolman Park, one in. Ravenhill, yeah, and w- maybe one then in in the RDS, yeah. as you say, one of the the group games. There's, now, as people might say, well, listen, the Six Nations matches that they play aren't attracting crowds of twenty thousand. So mm. why would that necessarily change for a World Cup? But you'd hope that the big time element of that. For, yeah, first of all, it's a World Cup. <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean, we don't host these events. You know, very very seldom have we hosted a you know a worldwide event. This is a worldwide event. I think you can be pretty much guaranteed that the Irish team that the Irish public will come out and support. I mean, it's it's not like we're hosting a, a tournament that we've no chance of winning. Yeah. I mean, we're the best team in the Northern Hemisphere, so let's let's go for it here. Also, the, you know, the the announcement was made yesterday. Also, said that the home Six Nations from next year are going to be played in Donnybrook in the Six Nations, um, and that's a big deal. And I think what you're talking about is, you know, are you comparing like with like uh, attendances in Ashburn and a possible attendances in Donnybrook where? You're talking about a huge potential for walk-up crowds mm. in Denmark in a way that for all that Ashburn has done for this group of uh, rugby players, it's not, you know, you're just not going to get it. So, I mean, I would be surprised if Donnybrook isn't a sellout for those home Six Nations games next year. And I think then if you're selling out those games, and I, I think, to be fair, they're not beholden to anything that they've said other than that Belfast will host the final. I mean, if if they decide Donnybrook is too small for these pool games, they can change it to the RDS. I don't think that's a major deal. But um, Yeah, but you're just going based on the information that's there at yeah, the moment. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I think what you have to what you have to do here is is presume that we're going to be flying it, uh, presume that the Irish public are going to get behind the women's rugby team even more so than they've done over the last couple of years, in the next couple of years, and, you know, and give... Give the women's rugby team every chance of winning this tournament, and that means getting 
uh, teams into 18,000 seater stadiums and make that noisy and very partisan in our in our favour. There's a small bit of news on the bid to host the 2023 Men's Rugby World Cup today as well on the back of that and that is that the board the essentially the IRFU along with the governments of Northern Ireland and uh, Republic of Ireland put together a bid a, a bid board so a number of people have been appointed to that Brian O'Driscoll's involved but the particularly interesting one I think is Pork Duffy Director General of the GAA is in there and it just copper fastens how committed the GAA are to that mm. I didn't realise that they'd actually have Pork Duffy involved in the Rugby World Cup bid it's another statement of intent there's not a hint of reluctance from the GAA if Pork Duffy's getting involved in actively trying yeah. to yeah no I think, I think it's, it's, it's really good and um yeah, well, it doesn't happen without the GA, so you might as well get them involved. You need them 100% on board, yeah. yeah. All right, let's talk to you, Murph. Yes, we have to say it. Remember, this is just a football game, no matter who wins or loses. I am deeply sorry for my irresponsible and selfish behavior. You're being extremely truculent. Whatever truculent means, if that's good, I'm there. Strike three called, and the Giants have won the World Series in Detroit. Brian Murphy, how are you? Oh my God, boys. I'm like sitting here trying to uh, ponder on this side of the pond. What's the biggest story going on right now? Is it Tom Brady and the deflate gate and the suspension? Is it the Golden State Warriors continuing their surge through the playoffs? Or, or is it the imminent arrival of the second captains on California soil? (laughs) In mere days, boys, I think we all know the true answer to that question, so... I'm doing great, and I can't wait, guys. I'm sure we're seriously moving the needle over there, Brian. Our rival. I'm, sure, I'm sure all the top columnists, all the, all the real uh, polarizing opinions are being expressed about our arrival. Well, for the most part, when I do tell people about your arrival, the general reaction is, who? What? What? Huh? What? Huh? What are you talking about? So uh, you guys are going to have to make your name for yourselves when you get over here. Or, or here, look on the bright side. You can come in kind of low-key, low-profile. No paparazzi, no stalkers. Mm. Uh, And then you guys can leave your mark once you're here. (laughs) Listen, let's talk Tom Brady, what people are talking about there. You mentioned deflate gate. And a four-game ban is what he's got. Now, we we often ask you to give us a read on what the general opinion is and what people are saying on different stories. But I want you, first of all, to tell us what you think about this. Is it a fair punishment for Tom Brady's role in the fake Fair. That's an interesting word, isn't it? There's the there's the key word, fair. And fair is a subjective term, right? There's really no uh, objective way to quantify what's fair. It depends on your value system. So let's put it this way. When I followed the story from the get-go, I'm virtually certain in my just knowledge of the world and how the way sports works and the way the world works – Tom Brady liked to have his balls underinflated. He liked his footballs underinflated, and I'm certain just my everything in my gut told me that this is how it was, this is how it is, and basically they got caught. And then the Wells report came out. I'm sure you guys have talked about it, or if you haven't, it was, of course, the independent investigator, 243 pages <laughs> that included uh, everything ranging from the super erudite references to science and the ideal gas law about how gas escapes in, in environment. I mean, like, I feel like I was back in high school chemistry class. Everything from as lofty as the ideal gas law to something as lowbrow as two chowderhead New England mass holes texting each other about Tom Brady saying, he's getting some effing watermelons on Sunday. I'm going to get him an effing rugby ball uh, if Tom doesn't get me some Uggs and a jersey. And I was like, you got to be kidding me. This whole thing is one gigantic Saturday Night Live skit is what it is. I mean, you throw in the, 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 the level of execution by the NFL in scrutinizing this almost on a Warren report level, like the Kennedy assassination juxtaposed against these uh, chowderhead mass holes who are texting each other about what they're going to do to Brady if he doesn't give them jerseys and Uggs. And I'm like, this is just unbelievable comedy. And so you come out in the end, and what do you say? What's fair? You say Brady liked his footballs underinflated. He had the guys underinflate him, and he got caught. So to me, it's similar to in baseball when a pitcher scuffs the ball or puts lubricant on the ball called a spitball, 
and you get caught doing that, there's a penalty. But it's something that I wouldn't say common, but it's not uncommon that that happens. And I would put Brady and him and the and the guys in sort of that category of common, not common, but not uncommon. Whether it's Jerry Rice saying I put spray on my hands or a jersey. An offensive lineman saying, I put Vaseline on my jersey. All the little cheating things that we know our athletes love to do. I'd probably say in your beloved sport of soccer or football over there, I'm sure there are things done on the pitch that are maybe not entirely legal, diving or or pulling or yanking or tugging, things like that. So I figured when it was all said and done, Tom Brady would get suspended for a game. That's what I figured. I figured because of his because of the denial or because of the obfuscation of it that he would be suspended for a game, much like a baseball pitcher. So When I heard four games, a million dollars of the team, which is ties an all-time record, and then a first-round draft pick, now you're really messing. First-round draft picks are like gold in the NFL. And then a fourth-round draft pick, too. I said, wow, that is serious business. So then you say, why did they come to that conclusion? Well, the answer seems to be clear now. They came to that conclusion not because of the offense. And here we go, back to Watergate and Richard Nixon. It's not the crime. It's the cover-up, and that's like that way in any walk in life, office politics, family politics, NFL. It's not the crime. It's the cover-up. And Tom Brady's unwillingness to turn over his text messages, uh, the Patriots' unwillingness to make this guy McNally available for another interview once some new text messages came to light, and, of course, the Patriots' history with Spygate all played into a larger narrative, and the NFL also... Let's add in the spice. We're making like a big broth here. Let's add in the salt of Roger Goodell trying to reestablish credibility after he lost it with the Ray Rice incident that we talked about so much last summer with the running back who punched his girlfriend in the face and only got two games. And I think you add it all up and realize, okay, I see what they're doing. The NFL is trying to send a serious message to all the other owners that the Patriots are not above the law, that the Patriots are repeat offenders, that the golden boy Tom Brady did not cooperate And so we're going to come down way harder than you thought. So all that said, guys, that long answer is now pending an appeal. And I'm already seeing this morning as we're talking, some people saying that the appeal might very well be successful. Brian, you mentioned the Ray Rice case as being the spice or the salt. But is there one reading that would suggest that that's the entire meal, actually, that the only reason that this guy, that Tom Brady's this guy, Tom Brady's being banned for what seems like an inordinate amount of time, amount of games, four games is very different from a four games in a soccer season. This is the guts of their, they, they could Quarter be gone. Of the season, yeah. yeah, they could be gone if the backup doesn't do the, do the business or near enough gone if they were to lose all those games. Is it not all down to how much face was lost by Goodell and the NFL during the Ray Rice saga and their need to try to at least appear as though they have a clue what they're doing disciplinary-wise? I mean, I see what you're saying, and to a degree I agree, but I think there are, there are other exterior factors because because the natures of the two crimes are so different, totally different. What Ray Rice did off the field in a criminal act in society versus what Tom Brady did on the field in a non-criminal act to gain an advantage on the field. So those are the two different things It's because it's almost like unfair to compare how Roger Goodell should treat the two things. But definitely, uh, I mean, maybe it's between – my calling it a spice and you calling it a full meal. Maybe it's the salad or the uh, or the side dish because you can't overlook the fact that what they feel like is the, the perception that the Patriots have been acting above the law. I mean, some of this is very Patriot-specific stuff. Now, Roger Goodell has been seen. See, Roger Goodell, he's, a mess. he's been a mess for a lot of reasons. One of them is that he's been seen in Patriot owner Robert Kraft's luxury box at games. And while you would think, okay, the commissioner's allowed to visit with owners, there's been a perception and belief that he's also socialized with them, that Robert Kraft has kind of become the new Eddie DeBartolo, as it were, that the premier owner of his time, uh, Jerry Jones in the 90s when he had it going with the Cowboys, that Robert Kraft has now become sort of the emperor of the owners because he has Brady and Belichick in four championships. So the perception was gaining that Roger Goodell and the Patriots were sort of in, in cahoots, that they were together. So I think Goodell strove to to um, put some distance between that perception and, and, and the reality of it. And I think part of that is Ray Rice, too, regaining credibility. And part of it is also trying to show 31 other owners 
and this is all, of course, who Goodell works for, right? He works for the owners, trying to show 31 other owners, no, these guys are going to pay. No, they're not above the law. No, Tom Brady's not the golden boy who's married to Giselle Bungeon and is our Super Bowl champion and do whatever he wants. We're going we're gonna to show that we can do this. And, and, and by that measure, circling back to your Ray Rice argument, an attempt to regain credibility. Uh, I've seen it painted, uh, this story painted in such a light as to say that this is great news for your boy, Joe Montana, uh, in that, <laughs> you know, the, the Brady's legacy, that there will always be an asterisk beside his achievements, which I find a ri- like ridiculous. Uh, you, as you say, you're talking about a, the, a manipulation of, uh, of footballs that's, you know, that happened in one game, sure, that we can prove, but, you know, you can extrapolate from that that this probably isn't the first time that, 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 that he has done this in all probability. But that to say that his achievements will be lessened, that there will forever be an asterisk Barry Bond style beside Tom Brady's achievements because of this story, it just seems, that strikes me as a massive overreaction, no? Well, again, now we get into degrees of stuff. I, I don't think anybody's suggesting a Barry Bonds style asterisk because Barry Bonds is, is, will never get into the Baseball Hall of Fame. Tom mm. Brady will get into the Football Hall of Fame, no problem. So there, nobody's suggesting a Barry Bonds style asterisk. But what they are suggesting is when you get into the very, very, very thin air of Tom Brady and Joe Montana, and you're talking about two guys up on a mountain above everybody else, you start to scrutinize each guy's career and which guy has black marks and which guy doesn't. And you're right. I believe me. Listen, I mean, there are rumors about Joe Montana during his career. I mean, I, I feel even bad repeating them, but there were rumors that when 1986, when he had back surgery, the true story was, was that he was suspended by the league for a drug offense. And it was like, whoa. Or one story was that he was in drug rehab. And I mean, these are just scurrilous rumors, but these are things that were rumored but never to be found true. And those would ding uh, Montana's sort of saintly legacy with everybody that Joe never did anything wrong or anything like that. The fact of the matter is he was never caught. He was never caught red-handed. Now, Tom Brady has been caught, and Tom Brady's been caught doing something that might have been way more than just one game. One of the stats that's going around that's really interesting is the Patriots' lack of fumbles in bad-weather games in the Brady era. And it's, it's like a startling stat. I don't have the exact numbers in front of you. You guys can look it up. It's, it's circling around the web. But they have a dramatically low fumble rate in, their, in, in cold weather games compared to other games played in wet weather games. And that would suggest to you that deflating the ball allows you to get a better grip, which means you're not going to turn it over as much. And turnovers are everything in the NFL. They decide everything. Hell, the Super Bowl was Seattle's to win until a turnover at the goal line. Everything hinges on turnovers. And if the Patriots won all these games under Tom Brady, partially because they never turned it over because the grips on the balls are a little better, it's something you have to consider. How much you put on it versus Montana is up to you. That's why the bar stool arguments are great. Draw a couple pints, pull up a stool, and argue as to what it really matters. But it's a factor. It's a reality. I'd also add that when it comes to Brady, he was quarterbacking during the Spygate era when Bill Belichick would videotape other teams' walkthroughs to see what their signals were on defense, et cetera. So who knows how much advantage Tom Brady gained from that. So all said, would I still say Tom Brady's one of the five greatest quarterbacks of all time? Yes. Would I say that if you compare him to Joe Montana, Montana favorite gets a little favored because of his lack of deflate gate scandals, his lack of spy gate scandals? Yes, I would. I would also say what we all say as Joe Montana supporters, Joe Montana never lost a Super Bowl. Now the Brady people would say, yeah, but Brady got some more, so he should get more credit for that. And we say, yeah, but Joe never lost one. And the <laughs> argument continues, and the fun continues, and the bar stools continue, and here comes another round, and you get to keep arguing, guys. You got, That's the fun of it all. Yeah, and I'm going to put an argument to you, Brian. I know you love when I have a firmly held but very ill-informed uh, opinion about these <laughs> matters. I've, I think, I'm going to throw it out there, that this will this entire saga has ruined or will ruin the relationship between Tom Brady and Bill Belichick. I say this because I remember the press conference that Belichick gave when this all broke mm-hmm. before the Super Bowl last year. And essentially, it boiled down to, you might want to ask Tom Brady about this. I don't know what's going on here. Tom Brady then does his press conference, denies it. And it turns out now that actually Brady seemed to know all along what was going on. But Belichick actually didn't and seems to have been broadly exonerated in the report and might be quite annoyed with Brady, not to mention the support staff, for actually getting caught. You might be thinking, look, we all do this. I mean, I got caught once, but you're not supposed to get caught doing these things, Tom. And now because of you, we've lost a couple of first-round draft picks for the next two years. 
I think you're onto something. Yes. I'm not going to tell you. I do. I say, I'm not going to, here I am. I'm not going to tell you, Owen, that you're just a, on the other side of the Atlantic with the wrong take because you're not American and you don't know. I think you're onto something. I do. I'm supporting you. Now, uh, this is something that's going to be hard to quantify for us. It's going to take some digging by reporters or it's going to have to take a leak here or there, or we're going to have to see an actual severe downturn in their on-field product for us to, to support that. But I think you're onto something in this huge ego world of big-time sports, whether it's international or American or whatever, you know how it gets between coaches and players. And, and there's a huge amount of um, our, there's a huge there's always a huge tussle as to who gets credit in these things. And, the, and Brady and Belichick have worked together so long and so well because they've been able to sort of not play that game of who needs credit. I mean, you could make the argument that the whole Jim Harbaugh stuff fell apart because, uh, and well, there are many reasons why. But you know, it was argument over who got credit: Jed York and Trent Baalke or Jim Harbaugh for the success of the 49ers in the last few years, although they never won a Super Bowl. Tom Brady's won four with, with Bill Belichick and been to six. So, yeah. No, I mean, we're also at the point where Tom Brady is older now, and I don't know how much – I mean, he claimed he was going to play for another five, six years, and maybe he can, but he is a severely immobile guy, and I don't know how much longer he could have played at a super high level, maybe two more years at a super high level to win a championship. But if this indeed, if this four-game suspension holds, and again, I mentioned earlier, this this appeal, Adam Schefter of ESPN's reporting that the appeal might be successful in the sense that this suspension might get drastically reduced. It really, really might, and, and that's the next huge intriguing chapter in all this. What if it gets reduced to one game? You know, What if it, it's all said and done? It's not a huge impact on their season. We'll have to analyze that as it comes. But right now, if it holds at four games, you're talking about now – a game that the Patriots might lose and it might cost them a playoff spot or it might cost them the division, which means they have to go on the road in the playoffs and it might eventually cost them a chance at a Super Bowl title. And you don't think Bill Belichick would be unbelievably pissed off about that and, and hold Tom Brady responsible? Absolutely. So I think what you brought up is on the table as a, it's something to watch and study going forward. The Brady Belichick because it was very odd how Belichick just completely distanced himself from Brady and the balls in this whole thing. So I think, Owen, you're on to something. He's grinning like an idiot here, Brian. He's, he's <laughs> it's the, the ultimate vindication. Yeah. Yeah, incredible <laughs> stuff. Brian, listen, I was watching the May- uh, Mayweather-Pacquiao fight last week, a couple of weeks ago now, and the undercard was even more boring than the fight itself. Uh, insanely poor fight. So at one stage, I, I was on Twitter and I saw a lot of my American cousins were tweeting about uh, the Spurs game that was on at the time. It was game seven of the series between the Clippers and the Spurs in the NBA playoffs. So I thought, oh, yeah, I'll just flick over for a second. It was like watching a different... It wasn't even a different sporting event. It was a different world. Suddenly this intensity that was there in this match between the Spurs and the Clippers. It's kind of old news now, a couple of weeks ago, but it did uh, just make me aware that these playoffs are going on and they fairly exploded in the last couple of weeks. Buzzer beaters, all the top players playing really well. It's, the NBA playoffs are fantastic theater. They always have been, especially when the stars rise to the surface. Whether what era you're talking about, the 80s with Magic and Bird, the 90s with Jordan, the 00s with Kobe Bryant, and now LeBron James. And this is where the NBA shines. The NBA gets not, the regular season is a grind. And it's not like, see, baseball has a really long regular season, but part of the pleasure of baseball is like the actual day at the ballpark, talking to your friends, your mates, your family, bringing your little kids to the games. There's like a romance to the daily procedure of baseball. The NBA has none of that. It's like you're just kind of waiting for the playoffs to begin, really, is what it is. So now we're here, and it's totally on, and you're getting super compelling storylines like you just mentioned. LeBron in Cleveland, a huge story, because not only does he do what he does by hitting a game-winning shot to really save Cleveland. They were down two games to one, and he hits a game-winning shot to even the series at 2-2 and then has a monster game five. Just an absolutely brilliant masterpiece Da Vinci-Michelangelo game five on Tuesday night to give them up 3-2. But the big story is their rookie head coach in Cleveland, David Blatt, has been absolutely leveled by LeBron. LeBron has just rendered the guy totally irrelevant and useless by going public and saying that in the final play, the rookie coach, David Blatt, drew up a play that the ball didn't go to LeBron. And LeBron stopped him halfway through and said, stop that nuts, use some profanity, stop that BS. I'm getting the ball right now, here's the play. He overruled the coach and made the game-winning shot and then told everybody about it afterwards. Wow. Just, just took him out at the knees, this guy David Black. I mean, honestly, 
if the Cavaliers even win the NBA championship, the strong money is that Blatt would not be back next year. LeBron has embarrassed him so much, not to mention the fact that Blatt tried to call a timeout that he didn't have, and his assistant coach had to run out and almost tackle him to stop him from doing that. So the guy had one of the worst games a winning playoff coach has ever had. So that's a story. Of course, the Golden State Warriors, I tried to tell you guys, Steph Curry and his MVP, he won it. He won the NBA MVP. And the Golden State Warriors, this downtrodden franchise, hasn't been good since the 1970s or the run TMC days of the 1980s, but still they didn't get to the NBA Finals then. Curry has been brilliant. He had two bad games. Everybody worried. He came back with a big star turn in game four. So you got Curry as the MVP. You got the Clippers emerging down in LA. You got LeBron and his coach with their drama. So yes, the NBA playoffs once again, total theater, must see. I'm loving that LeBron James and his coach storyline, Brian. It's uh, this is a constant issue that Leo, Lionel Messi's managers have, whether it's a club or international level now. That Leo Messi, if they do well, it's because they have the greatest player in the world in the team, and if they do badly, it's because they're not using him properly. And in fact, during the World Cup, he get, he, he got to the point of just blatantly and really obviously in the middle of games ignoring what his coach was telling him the coach would be doing a team talk and you see Messi with his back to it just looking totally off into the distance so it's a coach is almost dead usually when that happens it's pretty hard there's, there's no real coming back it's true except for that's why you got to look at guys like Michael Jordan and Phil Jackson and, and, and look at that and see how incredible Phil Jackson was able to earn Michael's respect and Phil Jackson was able to have some measure of influence on that team that's why when a lot of people poo-poo Phil Jackson saying, oh, well, he has 11 rings because he coached Michael and Kobe. The fact of the matter is he coached Michael and Kobe to 11 rings, and that, and we're just seeing it, whether it's Lionel Messi or whether it's David Blatt in Cleveland. You're seeing incidents all over where big-time stars can just destroy their coaches. But a guy like Phil Jackson comes along to coach two of the biggest egos in the history of American sports, Michael Jordan and Kobe Bryant, and get those guys to buy in completely. You almost never heard of those kind of incidents with Phil Jackson. That's why he stands alone kind of as one of those guys who's able to do that. So, yeah, it's interesting. It takes a rare bird life. Otherwise, you're going to get crushed by the star because these guys, the star is making 40 X their salary. You know, and uh, and nobody goes to the games to see David Blatt. They go to the games to see LeBron James. And nobody goes to the soccer pitch to go see Lionel Messi's coach. They go to see Lionel Messi. So those guys know that, and they have the leverage. Brian, we fly out on Friday. I think we'll we'll just get our bearings on Friday evening and maybe catch up with you on Saturday for a bit of a chat. And uh, finally, a bit of a chat. What am I talking about? It is going to be one of our defining moments of our lives and I know careers. it it is it's it's uh, it's uh, it's a strange thing to even try and get your head around that on Saturday we <laughs> we well, mur, um, the the two murphs get to look at each other eye to eye hand to hand murph to murph yeah. murph on murph love That's, I got to tell you though I kind of see you guys as the Michael Jordan Kobe figure and I see me as the Phil Jackson figure <laughs> and I think what we're going to do is we're going to come together and create championship radio That's what I see <laughs> Brian right. looking forward to it we'll chat to you at the weekend we'll see you at the All weekend the best, guys. take care see you soon Come on, we'll go to a, your favorite, a baseball game. And I'd be more than happy to have you boys come on over. I'll get you guys garlic fries and anchor steam beer. Duffman can never die. Only the actors who play him. Oh, yeah. Can't believe he did that to me, Kieran. I was oh, beaming wow. away here by myself. I was, oh, he's finally validated one of my ridiculous theories. Well, it was just the pathetic nature of your smile. Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't want to appear ignorant on another matter, though, but I, I feel free to do it now that Brian is Obviously, off, off the yeah. line there. What exactly is a masshole? I'm going to say that it's an asshole from Massachusetts. Uh, ah, um, that'll clear it up for Yeah, me. I mean, I hadn't heard the term myself, but I mean, I think it's, it's pretty pretty self-explanatory once you understand that mass is massive. I'm somewhat surprised that you don't seem to have any truck with the idea that Brady's legacy should be affected by this. As you said to Brian there, you think it's ridiculous that there's any sort of asterisks attached to it. Uh, yeah. Despite the fact that he's, I mean, he's been caught cheating in a fairly methodical way yeah. and has been banned for four games. That's got to raise some question marks about his, yeah. you know, his overall status in the game. Yeah, but but I mean I think you you we've heard of different examples over the last couple of weeks as well. You know, uh, 
stick, a sticky adhesive being rubbed onto balls by one team. Uh, heating up the balls. Yeah, no, yeah. Like, you know, There's a lot this, of ball manipulation seems to be going Yeah, this, this stuff happens, you know. Um, I, I just think that, you know, there's, there's, there's cheating and then there's just, you know, working the game a little. And I, I, I like, sure, he's he cheated. He's not allowed to do that. But I mean, I, I just, I'm, I'm just not seeing it. I'm just not seeing it on the the broadest of scales. I mean, as Brian said there, um, you throw it into the mix, and then at the end of it, you write, you know, your three lines on Tom Brady and his career. And I, I you know, I don't really know that that this is a is a massive. Well, deal. you hit the nail on the head as part of your question. I felt, and when you mentioned that this. There's no reason to believe that he hasn't done this before. Yeah, and it was interesting that that Brian mentioned that it was the it was the cover up that was really the issue because of the reluctance of Tom Brady and the and the team to countenance getting involved and giving over texts and emails. Maybe they would have been better just doing that, but <laughs> you got to think there was a reason in their own heads that mm. uh, we don't want to give over that information. But it's an unbelievable story. It's such a huge in an American context. It's absolutely. I mean, Tom Brady is such a golden boy type figure. Yeah, just has the perfect life that everyone would envisage in terms of uh, on and off the field, and then he does have this thing attached to him. Whereas Bill Belichick, <laughs> there was always a sense with, with Belichick maybe that uh, he wasn't quite Listen, a popular figure. Just try and catch me, you know. That, that's what <laughs> yeah, Belichick's yeah, entire demeanor say, would yeah. suggest. It's like, well, listen. I might be up to something. Yeah, but you have to catch me again. Kind of, it's on you to it's on you to, prove to it, yeah. catch me out. You know, that's it from us for now. The next podcast we record will be with Brian in his hometown. Can't wait for that. Hopefully, by the time we get back, the country will have voted yes in the marriage referendum. I've already popped off my ballot paper in the post. And make sure you get out there and cast your vote. Keep an eye on secondcaptains.com for details of our live show in San Francisco next Wednesday. We'd absolutely love to see you there. If you're Irish, if you're American, whatever you are, we'd love to see you along on that one. Uh, yeah, we'll keep uh, keep e- emailing us in. I know loads and loads of you have. Um, so we'll be in touch with those who have already emailed yeah. and those of you who fancy coming along next Wednesday. That's secondcaptains.irishtimes.com. That's the one. Email that's the us. one. Um, uh, or if failing all... If you don't have... Uh, if you don't have uh, access to email, but you do have access to Twitter, you can get us at Second Captains. <laughs> Facebook.com. Probably, probably not that many people in that. Forward situation. slash Second Captains is uh, where you can get us on Facebook. But that's, uh, that's probably enough addresses to be given out for one podcast. Thanks very mm. much, Kieran. Thank you, Owen. Thanks for listening. Thanks to the window seat. And we'll talk to you soon. Cheers. What is that? That's the second time it's gone off. Never go home. They never go home. They never go home, those, those, those boys. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.